Ezekiel chapter 30, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. If you're with us tonight without a Bible, we want to rectify that. Men are coming to the aisles right now with Bibles. Just wave to them and put a Bible in your hand. Mark to our passage tonight. You'll be fairly lost without it, especially this evening. And if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift uh, from the Lord uh, to you tonight. As we're getting, uh, finding our place to Ezekiel chapter 30, just a reminder that uh, next Sunday night we'll be celebrating uh, the water baptism and also the Lord's Supper. And so uh, instead of our normal evening Bible study, and it's uh, one of the, the great events in the calendar year uh, of the church. And so come on out, even though you've, if you've never been water baptized, wow, here's the night to, uh, to do it. It is a commandment to be water baptized as a Christian. There's reasons for it. I'll explain that before we water baptize. All you need to do to be water baptized is to be born again. And, uh, and then, uh, so come on out. We'll have changing rooms, all of that for you. But that's, that's coming up this coming Sunday night. Even if you've been water baptized, come on out and join the celebration of those who are being water baptized. It, we remember as we've been away from Ezekiel now for a couple of weeks that for 24 chapters in this book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has prophesied uh, almost exclusively concerning the judgment that God was going to bring upon the southern kingdom of Judah as a result of their wickedness and as a result of their idolatry. And then as we've seen in the last couple of times as we've studied it in chapter 25 uh, through the prophet Ezekiel, God then uh, pronounced the judgment that he would also bring upon the Gentile nations that uh, surrounded the southern kingdom of Judah uh, because of their uh, glee, their rejoicing over God's judgment of His people, uh, of Judah, taking advantage of, of that judgment and for uh, the wickedness in their own lives as well. I think I've mentioned even recently, but I'll, I'll mention it again. I think that very often there is this perception in the world, increasingly so, uh, that uh, only Christians have any kind of a compelling reason to obey God's commandments, avoid idolatry, avoid wickedness. After all, we're the ones that believe in God and claim to know Him. And the world has this idea, as long as they don't claim any allegiance to God or believe in His existence or whatever it might be, that somehow uh, they'll escape His displeasure and chastisement and judgment in practicing those same sins. And uh, sin is sin in the eyes of God. As Peter uh, wrote in his epistle, when the whole world becomes a place, as it was at the time of Ezekiel, both Jew and Gentile alike, an open rebellion against God, uh, God will judge all of it. Uh, Peter says that he will begin his judgment in the house of God. He will, be, he will begin his judgment with those who are sinning against the greatest light, which would be uh, Christians or his people. But the judgment never stops there. It then moves into the entire world. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. We're responsible for practicing it, whether we acknowledge God or we don't. And so they were going to be judged as well. The nations that God has addressed uh, in this way thus far, as we've seen, is Ammon, uh, Moab, uh, Edom, the Philistines, Tyre. And then as we began last time in verse 29, uh, the list also includes uh, Egypt. And in chapter uh, 29, as we saw last time, God began His denunciation of Egypt 
because they had been a false help to the southern kingdom of Judah because of their own wickedness, as we're going to see uh, tonight. But they had gotten so arrogant and puffed up in their pride that Pharaoh was actually considered himself to be a god, you might remember. And uh, he was declaring himself to be the creator uh, of the Nile River and all of its tributaries. That's someone who's out of uh, contact with uh, reality. And uh, so God prophesied that he would uh, chasten Egypt by means of Babylon, the same means that he had uh, chastened all of the other uh, nations, and that she would uh, be defeated by Babylon and be looted by Babylon. And so we continue here in chapter 30 with Ezekiel's prophecy uh, against Egypt. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, uh, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, Wail. Woe to the day, for the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near, speaking of God's judgment. And it will be a day of clouds, the time of the Gentiles. The sword shall come upon Egypt, notice, and great anguish shall be on uh, Ethiopia. So God is going to bring His judgment upon Egypt, going to bring His judgment upon Egypt's allies. Uh, Egypt considered themselves to be safe, uh, from any kind of judgment or any kind of a defeat, not only because of their own strength, but because of uh, the strength of the alliances that they had with the nations surrounding them. You can have all of the NATO and all of the alliances that we have today and be as strong as you want to be. As a nation, you get on the wrong side of God and uh, there is no protection from uh, from His judgment. And they were going to discover that as well. And it's important for us to remember that uh, today. And uh, great anguish, uh, speaking of her, Egypt's uh, allies uh, shall be in Ethiopia. They will be judged as well when the slain fall in Egypt, and they shall take away her wealth, and her foundations are broken down. Ethiopia, Libya, uh, Lydia, all of the mingled peoples, Chub, and the men of the lands who are allied shall fall with them by the sword. And so judgment would come upon all of them. They will rush to Egypt's uh, defense, but uh, Nebuchadnezzar will defeat them all, as God prophesied that he would. I think it is, it is an important word for us to be careful uh, as Christians who we uh, align ourselves with, who we ally ourselves with and, and partner with in, uh, in, in life. And to never align ourselves with something that is, uh, has God's judgment attached to it or has become so corrupt and so sinful and so anti-God uh, that God is, is going to have to judge it and not to be found within uh, a million uh, miles away uh, to keep a, a clear distance from these kind of things. And thus says the Lord uh, who uh, thus... Uh, those who uphold Egypt shall fall, and the pride of her power shall come down. Again, her pride was in her a series of, of alliances and allies, from Migdal to uh, Syene, and those within her shall fall by the sword, says the Lord. And they shall be desolate in the midst of the desolate countries, and her cities shall be in the midst of the cities that are laid waste. And then they shall know that I am the Lord when I have set a fire in Egypt and all her helpers, and here is what he's discussing, her allies, and all her helpers uh, are 
uh, destroyed. And uh, on that day, is in, in verse 9, uh, messengers shall go forth from me in ships uh, to make the careless Ethiopians afraid, and great anguish shall come upon them as on the day of Egypt, for indeed it is coming. And so when the news would come to these surrounding nations of the fall and the defeat of Egypt, uh, the news would hit them like a, a ton of bricks, uh, so uh, so to speak. And thus says the Lord God, the uh, I will, and here uh, we'll see I will repeated in the next two or three verses, uh, even though God is going to use Babylon to judge Egypt, uh, it is God who is behind uh, Babylon. And so this is a judgment that, that God is meeting out upon them. This is not just a clash of civilizations or a clash of two uh, kind of world empires at the time. Uh, God is, is at work. And he said, I will also make uh, the multitude, a multitude of Egypt to cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So once again, he identifies his instrument of judgment. And he and his people with him, the most terrible of the nations, shall be brought to destroy uh, the land. The ancient Babylonians were, um, they weren't nice people. Uh, on a battlefield, definitely not nice people. Again, we remember when Zedekiah, uh, the, the final king of the southern kingdom of Judah, when he was captured with Jerusalem and, Nebuch and, and taken before the leadership of, of the Babylonian army, uh, his sons were brought before him, slain before his eyes, and then Zedekiah's eyes were gouged out of his head so that that would be his final vision in life, his final memory, so to speak, in, in life. These were tough people. It was a tough neighborhood, and, uh, uh, and this was who was coming now uh, to, to judge them. And, and they will fill the land with slain. I will again, God, makes the declaration in verse 12, make the rivers dry, the pride of Egypt and her Nile River and tributaries, and sell the land into the hand of the wicked. I will make the land waste and all that is in it uh, by the hands of aliens. I, the Lord, uh, have spoken. It's interesting now, here is Ezekiel. He is prophesying this to the children of Israel in uh, Tel Aviv. And, uh, and he's prophesying to them about Egypt. Though all of it's going to come to pass and Egypt will become aware of the prophecies as well. Every single thing that he is saying is going to come to pass. So we read it. I mean, we're separated here by, um, you know, thousands of years from us and, and ancient Babylon and ancient Egypt. So it's, it's sometimes hard to get a grasp upon how astonishing and... Um, uh, 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 how uh, the audience would have listened and said, this simply can't happen. There's a word for that, but I couldn't come up with it. Uh, so remember at this time, uh, Egypt has been the dominant influence in that part of the world for 2,400 years. We haven't even been a nation for 250 years yet. We're talking over, uh, you know, you do the math on it. Uh, in terms of how long they dominated that part of the world. And so for God to come and say, these people are going to be overthrown and defeated 
within their own borders by the Babylonians would be like somebody prophesying not merely that the United States would fall or that China would fall or Russia would fall or whoever would fall in terms of world powers, but that all of them would fall at once. It's it's more improbable than even that because even these nations that we think about in terms of power today have not held that power for the kind of time that Egypt did. And so it just seemed incomprehensible, that inconceivable. That's the word. Uh, the Princess Bride, Tom, you knew I was, that was the one I was searching for. Seemed inconceivable that this could ever come to pass. And, and yet it did come to pass. God's Word always comes uh, to pass. And thus says the Lord God, I will also destroy the idols and cause the images to cease from Noph. And so... Uh, God declares that these, uh, the idolatry in Egypt would be destroyed, and He names these major cities of Egypt, which were also centers for uh, idolatry, His judgment that would come upon them. Again, just because uh, the, the, the God had prohibited idolatry among the children of Israel, and, uh, and them being professed followers of God, uh, the Lord, uh, the God of the Bible, doesn't mean that it was okay for the other pagan nations to engage in it either. I will destroy the idols and cause the images to cease from Noph, and they, there shall no longer be prince, uh, princes from the land of Egypt. And I will put fear in the land of Egypt to make Pathros desolate another city, to set fire to Zoan, to execute judgments in No. I will pour my fury on Sin, uh, another city, the strength, a major city uh, of Egypt. I will cut off the multitude of No and set a fire in Egypt. Sin shall have great pain, and No shall be uh, split open, and Noph shall be in distress daily. The young men of Avon and Pi-Beseth shall fall by the sword, and these cities shall go into captivity. At Tephanides, the day shall also be darkened when I break the yokes of Egypt there and her arrogant strength. Uh, and so she was strong, but it was a, an arrogant strength, arrogant against God, arrogant in terms of, of the surrounding nations. It shall cease in her. Uh, as for her, a cloud will cover her and her daughters shall go into captivity. And thus I will execute judgments on Egypt and they shall know that I am uh, the Lord. And so the, the coming judgment. And then the Lord moves and He begins to prophesy specifically now against Pharaoh, the king uh, of Egypt. And it came to pass in the eleventh year, on the first month, on the seventh day of the month. Now, what was the month? What was the day of the month? You know, sometimes you'll hear people talk about, ah, oh, the Bible, it's all a bunch of fables. It's all allegory. It's all made up by men. Well, it certainly doesn't read like that. I mean, here you have, and this, is, and this characterizes the Bible from one end to the other. Here you've got cities being named. You've got dates being uh, given here. And this prophecy is dated in our language uh, to April 29th, 587 B.C., just a few months before uh, Babylon's uh, final siege of the city of uh, of Jerusalem. Uh, the previous year, uh, Pharaoh Hophna had uh, initially come to Judah's assistance in, 
in attacking uh, the Babylonians who were laying siege to Jerusalem. Babylon left off its uh, siege of uh, Jerusalem for a time to then uh, come back and, and uh, uh, soundly defeat the Egyptian army and, and breaking its strength and, and, uh, and any ability now to deliver Judah from Nebuchadnezzar was completely gone. And so that's the context of, of all of this. And so he says, it shall come to pass in that, that time uh, that, the wor- uh, that, the, uh, that the word came, of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And see, look, it has not been bandaged for healing, nor a splint put on, uh, put on to bind it to make it strong enough to hold a sword. So imagine being in battle. We're not talking about even professional football, as, as rough a sport as that is. Uh, there's something about, sometimes people get a little offended when athletes, professional athletes, liken what happens out on the court or on a field uh, to war. It was a war out there. And sometimes military people get a little bit antsy about that because they know what real war is. That was a game. Uh, that you were lucratively paid uh, in order to play. War is something entirely different. So imagine being in the midst of a battle and uh, your arm, your main arm for defending yourself, holding the sword, is broken. I don't know if you've ever had a broken arm and tried to do anything with it before it healed. It's completely uh, uncooperative. Uh, the, the pain is excruciating. And uh, so this is what he's, he's likened as. He's in battle. He's in the middle of a battle with Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, likened as, a, as an individual in, you know, pick some Scottish-English uh, battle and the bloodiness of it. And uh, now you've broken your arm and you even haven't even had the time to try and bandage it up or splint it to try and hold on to a sword. It is, it, it's just a picture of, of helplessness and, and vulnerability that, that God is picturing here. And here is Egypt in that kind of a condition, can't even hold a sword before Babylon. And therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and will break his arms. Now we got both arms broken. Uh, Imagine uh, trying to fight in the midst of all of that to save your life, both the strong one and the one that was broken, and I will make the sword fall out of his hand. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. And so uh, Egypt would ultimately be as helpless in battle in resisting the Babylonians as a a soldier, an infantryman in the middle of a battle with two uh, broken arms. And and as it turned out in terms of uh, studying history on all of this, this is exactly what uh, happened. Uh, Egypt was no match at all uh, for the Babylonian military. And I will, uh, as if it couldn't be any worse, uh, the weakness of Egypt, God then says, I will then strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon. So here you are on a battlefield, both of your arms are broken, your enemy is coming, and he's got arms like Popeye. I mean, it's, it just gets worse. You can't, you can't fight God and win. It just it, it, it is impossible. And, uh, and the Lord said, I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand, but I will break Pharaoh's arms and he will groan before him 
with the groanings of a mortally wounded man. And that will be uh, the condition of his entire army. And thus I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon, but the arms of Pharaoh shall fall down. They shall know that I am the Lord when I put my sword into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he stretches it out against the land of Egypt. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. And so when these prophecies come to them, they're aware that this was a judgment uh, from God, then they will realize that, uh, that the Lord was behind all of, all of this and, and, and recognize it. So then we go into uh, chapter 31, and uh, this prophecy uh, addresses the Pharaoh and his advisors. Uh, again, interestingly, the, the, the prophecy is actually delivered to the Jews in Tel Aviv. Uh, but uh, uh, concerning uh, Egypt, because again, until uh, uh, Judah and Jerusalem ultimately fell, there was still this hope that somehow Egypt would deliver them. So God is telling them, not only will God not deliver Judah from my judgment and my chastening, but um, here's what's going to happen to, uh, to them as well. And so uh, the idea is, is that in this chapter is that even though uh, Pharaoh's army was... Uh, as formidable as the cedars of Lebanon, and he's going to talk about those. The cedars of Lebanon were the most desired kind of trees for building in the ancient uh, world. They were majestic trees, and yet uh, God said that like a cedar tree, they'd be cut down and cast into Sheol, uh, in, into hell uh, by, uh, by the Babylonians. And so he says, now it came to pass in the 11th year, in the third month, and on the first day of the month that this prophecy uh, came from the Lord to Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and his multitude, whom are you like in your uh, greatness? And God here, he acknowledges Egypt's greatness. They were a great, great empire and civilization. In the ancient world, it looked like they could not be defeated uh, by anyone, even remotely. Uh, Egypt had a tremendous advantage in the ancient world, especially in that part of the ancient world, in that they had the Nile River, and they had the tributaries. They had the ability to have water to produce crops and, and grain as a result of it to feed their people in a way that uh, m most other nations uh, didn't have that luxury. In fact, uh, later on in history, Egypt was uh, kind of uh, entered into a relationship with and conquered more or less by the Roman Empire to become the breadbasket for uh, the Roman Empire because of these, these assets of, of uh, good ground and good water and good for raising wheat and, and, and other crops. And so uh, she was great and she had tremendous uh, resources. And uh, now he reminds them of another great empire that had exi existed but no longer did uh, because of the judgment of God, the, the empire of Assyria. The Assyrian empire was displaced by the Babylonians. And so this was fairly recent history for everyone. Indeed, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon. They were great like you, Egypt. Fine branches that shaded the forest and of high stature, and its top 
was among uh, the thick boughs, and the waters made it grow, underneath waters gave it height, with their waters running around the place where it was planted, and sent out rivulets to all of the trees of the field. And so here you have this great uh, cedar of Lebanon that is going to grow in, uh, majestic in its size uh, under probably any conditions. But here this one has uh, ample uh, underground spring that it's tapped into. And uh, the Assyrian Empire was a great empire. And as a result of its advantages, its height was exalted above all of the trees of the field. Its boughs were multiplied, and its branches became long because of the abundance of water as it sent them out. And the birds of the heavens, they made their nests in uh, the boughs. And so all of the smaller nations uh, came and attached themselves to Assyria to its greatness and, uh, and became dependent upon Assyria. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field uh, brought forth their young. Everything was tied to uh, uh, the Assyrian Empire, great empire uh, that it was in that, uh, in that portion of, of the world, uh, of Assyria. And in its shadow, all great nations made their home. And thus it was beautiful in greatness and in the length of its branches because its roots reached into abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide it. Talking about uh, the uh, garden of God is talking about the garden of Eden. God says the cedars that were planted in the garden of Eden uh, didn't match the greatness, uh, so to speak, in terms of the imagery of, of, uh, of what Assyria was represented in as an empire by uh, uh, such a, a cedar of Lebanon because, uh, and uh, couldn't hide it. The fir trees were not like its boughs and the chestnut trees were not like its branches. No tree in the midst, uh, in the garden of God. The garden of Eden was like it in beauty. I made it beautiful with a multitude of branches so that all of the trees of Eden envied it uh, that were in the garden of uh, God. And so here is this dis description of the greatness of Assyria before it was humbled by God and, and uh, judged by God. And the idea is that if an empire like Assyria achieving this kind of greatness uh, that even the Egyptians would have to take note of uh, could be humbled by God and broken in judgment, uh, then the same thing, uh, God could readily do the same thing uh, to, uh, to Egypt. And that's the point that he's, he's making uh, 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 to them. And then he declares in verse 10, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have increased in height, uh, this, this great tree is going to be cut down, this Assyrian empire, uh, and it set its top among the thick boughs, and its heart was lifted up uh, in its height. And so there's two reasons God gives here for humbling the Assyrian empire, for judging it. Number one was its, its pride over its greatness, its beauty, again, uh, likened to a cedar tree in its height. And therefore I will deliver it into the hand of the mighty one uh, of the nations, and he shall surely deal with it. I have driven it out uh, for its wickedness. It was judged not only for its pride, but also for its wickedness. Uh, wickedness comes out of pride. There's always the progression 
uh, in that, where a person becomes arrogant towards other people, becomes arrogant towards God. Now there's no accountability. I'm not a person under authority. I start to do what I want. It's, it's on steroids when it happens uh, within a nation. And so uh, the pride then turns into uh, great wickedness. Uh, one of the reasons that wickedness is expanding so rapidly within our culture is because of the pride of our culture. Uh, on a national level, on government levels, on lots of different levels. Uh, the expansion of wickedness is occurring because man has lost a fear of God and is lifted up in pride. The one is a symptom of the other, and, and to look behind it. Uh, I think about, I mean, as I read the, the news as you read it or watch it and watch this progression that's happening before our eyes, and the absence of the fear of God, uh, maybe even among Christians, but certainly in the world, is, is astonishing. Uh, nobody flinches at all or seems to even miss an opportunity to put God down, to blaspheme Him, to mock Him, to scorn Him. And uh, it, it is a folly uh, that, that God will one day judge in His, His own time. But there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same old things that are, are going on. Verse 12, And aliens, the most terrible of the nations, have cut it down and left it. Its branches have fallen on the, on the mountains and in all of the valleys. When uh, this uh, Assyria fell like into this great cedar, you see the cedar timber and it comes down and and uh, the greatness of its fall is being described. Its boughs lie broken by the rivers of the land, and all the peoples of the earth have gone from under its shadow and left it. And on its ruin will remain all of the birds of heaven, and all of the beasts of the field will uh, come to its uh, branches, so that no trees by the waters may ever again exalt themselves for their height, nor set their tops among the tree boughs, that no tree which drinks water may ever be high enough uh, to reach up to them. For they have all been delivered to death, to the depths of the earth, among the children of men who go down to the pit. So Assyria ought to have been a life lesson for Egypt, uh, not to follow in her path of idolatry and wickedness and, uh, and, and rebellion against God or thinking that they could withstand uh, Babylon and Babylon's military any more uh, than the Assyrians did, but uh, they, they didn't learn. It's very good in life for all of us as, as Christians or anyone, but just to keep our eyes open. All of life is teaching us something. It isn't always teaching us what to do. Uh, more than half the time, it's teaching us what not to do. If we'll just keep our eyes open and, and learn the lessons, and to learn the lessons from history. But as the old saying goes, we learn nothing from history. We just keep repeating it over and over and over again. Why? Because we live so much in the present, and we are the new people. We are the new generations. They didn't have computers like we have computers, and they didn't have televisions like we have televisions, and jets like we have uh, jets. This is a new age. This is a new day. You can't compare us with the ancient world, and it's all nonsense. We are, all, we are still uh, the very same thing. And if we refuse to uh, uh, learn, we certainly aren't going to learn about uh, 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 jet mechanics 
from the ancient Assyrians or Egyptians. But what we can learn from them is that, God can, that man can cross a line. And when he crosses that line in terms of, of God, idolatry and wickedness, that God will step in and judge. But that's as lost upon our generation and our age as if the Bible was never written or as if uh, this, e even outside of the Bible, as if this cycle wasn't a cycle all through uh, uh, human, uh, human history. And, uh, and so uh, the, uh, this would be the fall. And thus says the Lord God, verse 15, in the day when it went down to hell, I caused mourning and uh, covered its deep because of it. I restrained my rivers and the great waters were held back. I caused Lebanon to mourn for it and all the trees of the field wilted because of it. Uh, everything was affected by the, the fall of Assyria. And I made the nations shake at the sound of its fall when the news came to them, when I cast it down to hell uh, together with those who descend into the pit and all the trees of Eden, the choice and the best of Lebanon, all that drink water were comforted in the depths of the earth. And they also went down to hell with Assyria in, in the judgment with the slain by the sword and in that judgment and those who uh, were its strong uh, and those who were its strong arm dwelt in its shadows among the nations to which of the trees of Eden will you then be likened in glory and greatness yet you shall be brought down uh, with the trees of Eden to the depths of the earth you shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword this is Pharaoh and all of his multitude and God says as surely as I've done it to Assyria uh, because they followed uh, 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 the path that they were on and you've chosen to follow on the very same path and, uh, and I will do the same uh, to, to you in bringing this judgment. Then in chapter 32, it, we're given again the, the, the date related to that. And it came to pass in the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the first day of the month, that the, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, saying, and uh, so this, uh, this was a sixth of, of uh, Ezekiel's prophecies concerning uh, Egypt, and, and it happens in the early spring of uh, 585 BC, and it occurs uh, some months after the time uh, it, it which those uh, in exile uh, in, in uh, 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 Babylon, in uh, Tel Aviv, would have received the news of the downfall of the city of, of Jerusalem. And so they received the news of that downfall, that Jerusalem has fallen, Judah has fallen, and uh, uh, and, then, and then here is this message of what is going to happen to Egypt for the part that they played in that as, as well as for their own uh, wickedness. And it came to pass again in, those, in that time frame, verse 2, Son of man, take up a lamentation for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, You are like a young lion uh, among the nations, and you are like a monster in the seas, bursting forth, uh, from your rivers, troubling the waters with your feet and fouling uh, the rivers. And so uh, Pharaoh thought of himself as being as bold as uh, a, a great majestic uh, lion or a monster or a crocodile in the Nile. In other words, 
uh, Egypt had become uh, very, very, uh, again, proud and arrogant, and they were throwing their weight around in the ancient world and uh, mudding the waters and in terms of uh, internationally and, and uh, the, the other nations. It's always, you know, we have to be careful as a nation with our wealth and with our, our power that we don't become uh, the bully of the world. And I don't think we're in any danger of that, but uh, it's easy to be, get lifted up in pride in that way and begin to push other people around, begin to take advantage of, of other people, and God takes note of that. I think for any kind of uh, superpower in the world today, and certainly in the history of the United States of America, we have never, though not perfect, we have never taken advantage of other nations in the way that uh, historically uh, kind of dominant empire nations uh, have. We didn't, uh, haven't, uh, didn't build an empire. We didn't, uh, uh, some of our foreign policies have been not so great, uh, but, uh, but we, we haven't risen uh, to, this, uh, to this level in which uh, Pharaoh had, had uh, risen to. So he's, he's just fouling up the rivers with all of his arrogance and flexing his muscles and, and all of this. And he's not only messing up uh, people's lives in that day, but he's also messing up God's uh, prophetic uh, picture with his uh, getting involved with trying to come and be a defense to Judah and Jerusalem when they had no business getting involved in that at all. This was between uh, God and the children of Israel. And so, thus says the Lord God, verse 3, I will therefore spread my net over you with a company of many people. Now, whether you're a lion or a crocodile, you don't like a net. So you picture them both in your minds. You get tangled up in it, you lose all of your power, you, you lose your ability to move, your ability to defend, and God says, that's what I'm going to do with Babylon and, and her allies. Uh, you're making a mess of things, and so I'm going to bring them in, and they're going to constrain you, and they will uh, draw you up in my net. And then I will leave you on the land, and I will cast you out in the open fields. Now, a crocodile is a formidable uh, animal if you're going to meet it near a river uh, or in a river. I don't want to meet it under any circumstances except at the aquarium and uh, with uh, plexiglass and bulletproof whatever between uh, me and it. But you take that animal, as he's pictured here, and you take him out and you throw him out in, in the middle of the Sinai in, uh, in, uh, in Egypt, and it's a completely different story. Uh, it, it'll, it'll be in trouble real quick and uh, very, very vulnerable. And so God says, I'm going to take you out of your place of strength and, and cast you out into that kind of vulnerability and cause, you, uh, and cause to settle on you all of the birds of the heavens. And so you see this crocodile out there in the open and it begins to struggle for life and, and, all, and all of these other uh, birds. And then uh, also the beasts will come and with you I will fill the beasts of the whole earth. Uh, and soon all of these scavengers are coming now uh, to pick off the body and to begin uh, to eat it. And I will lay your flesh on the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcass. And I will also water the land uh, with the flow of your blood. Now, that's a lot of blood. Uh, even to the mountains. And the, river, and the riverbeds will be full 
of you, uh, just all kinds of soldiers and all left uh, for dead. And when I uh, put out your light, I will cover the heavens and will make its stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon will not give her light and the bright lights of the heavens will make, I will make dark over you and bring darkness upon your land, says the Lord. And so uh, this great, uh, the, the, the day of, of this, the, the death of this great marine monster here uh, is, is going to be uh, marked by this deep darkness in the land and the surrounding uh, region. The, the, um, uh, the awe, the, uh, the amazement at, at the fall of, and defeat of Egypt. And then the, the reaction here of the surrounding nations to Egypt's defeat. And I will also trouble the hearts of many peoples when I bring your destruction upon the nations <clears throat> into the countries which you have uh, not known. And yes, I will make many peoples astonished at you, and their kings shall be horribly afraid of you when I brandish my sword before them, and they shall tremble every moment, every one for his own life and the day of your fall. And so there's that realization, wow, if Egypt could fall, what could happen to, uh, to us? For thus says uh, the Lord God, the sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon you. So God again in this prophecy reveals Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon as the instrument of God's judgment and the fulfillment of these prophecies by the swords of the mighty warriors, all of them, uh, the most terrible of the nations, I will cause your multitude to uh, fall. And they shall plunder the pomp of Egypt and all its multitude shall be destroyed. Also I will destroy all its animals from beside its great waters. Uh, the foot of man uh, shall muddy them no more, nor shall the hooves of animals muddy them. It will be such a desolation in this judgment that there won't be people, enough people and animals left to, uh, in, comparatively uh, to muddy the waters of the Nile and, and the tributaries. Everything would be set back. Agriculture, industry, everything. Nor the hooves of the animals muddy them. Verse 14, and then I will make their waters clear uh, by virtue of the lack of activity because of the lack of, uh, of, of people. And I will make their rivers run like uh, oil, says the Lord. And of course, Egypt had this whole set canal system that was set up that ran off of the Nile River in order to irrigate its crops. And so you would have all of these paddles and different things in the Nile that would be redirecting water and, uh, and creating a commotion on the water as a result. And God says, all of that will stop. The Nile River is going to flow like oil. Uh, there will be relatively little activity on it as a result uh, of the judgment. And then I, when I make the land of Egypt desolate and the country is destitute of all that once filled it, uh, when I strike all who dwell in it, then they shall know that I am the Lord. And this is the lamentation which shall, uh, they shall lament her and the daughters of the nations shall lament her. They shall lament for her, for Egypt and for all her multitudes, says the Lord. And so there'll be uh, this uh, lamentation, this uh, 
uh, awe over the, the, the fall of Egypt that will fill the, the, that entire uh, part of the, wall, uh, of, of, of the world. Again, remembering this is something, uh, an empire that had uh, been so strong and so dominant for so many hundreds uh, of years. It was just inconceivable. I got it. Thank you, Tom. And uh, to, uh, to, to think that it, that it could happen at all. And then here, uh, in starting in verse 17, all the way through to the, the end of the chapter, uh, God describes the multitude of Egypt, uh, Pharaoh himself and all of his soldiers and all of uh, 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 the wicked, and uh, uh, that all of them are headed for death. And not only are they headed for death, uh, death doesn't end anything for any human being. Uh, death is just the beginning, physical death here is just the beginning of eternity. And so the description of what happens after this death, that's never the worst thing in terms of God's judgment. But that they will then after death go into the pit, down into Hades or, and uh, uh, Sheol, where they're going to join all of the others that have uh, preceded her. And so here, here is the description of uh, Sheol and, and all of, uh, of, rather, of Pharaoh and, and all of his multitude uh, tour, touring hell uh, as, uh, upon their, uh, their arrival. And so the ri- revival, uh, their arrival is described, verse 17, and it came to pass uh, also in the twelfth year and the fifteenth day of the month that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, wail over the multitude of Egypt and cast them down to the depths of the earth, her and the daughters of the famous nations with those who go down into the pit. Talking about uh, hell. He said uh, uh, concerning uh, uh, the, the Egyptians, whom do you surpass in beauty? Go down and be placed with the uh, uh, circumcised. And so, whom do, you, uh, whom do you surpass in beauty? In other words, God is saying now in this realm of hell, I mean, here you have all of this prominence in, in, uh, in terms of uh, in, uh, on the other side of eternity. Uh, but now uh, death is a great equalizer. Uh, of things and all of the glory all of the pomp all of the power all of the accolades all of the high opinion of ourself and all that we can receive by virtue of possessing power or whatever it might be as Egypt had uh, all of that can be lost instantly upon the point of death anything that isn't built upon Christ is going to be lost at that that moment and so here here is the question whom do you surpass in beauty in other words you become just like everyone else it was an illusion the life that that you live the arrogance thinking that you're God and you created the Nile now what do you think of your beauty now what do you think of yourself and the deception that you allowed yourself to uh, become deceived by and, uh, and, and death will be a wonderful moment in the life of a person who uh, goes into heaven, a Christian, as a result of death and leaving all of this behind. But it's just the beginning of the nightmare 
for, for everyone else. All of these things will be lost in an in, in, in instant. No one will, or none of us are going to carry any of our glory, any of our wealth, any of our reputation, any of the things that we had in this life uh, into hell. All of that is completely lost, and, and uh, it just gives way to what is a uniform misery in uh, in, in hell. And so the question is asked. Go down now, verse 19. Uh, be placed with the uncircumcised. All of it is lost. You're like nobody else. It was all an illusion and you didn't prepare for reality. And this is reality for, uh, for how you've conducted yourself. And they shall fall in the midst of those slain by the sword. She is delivered to the sword, drawing her and all her multitudes. The strong among the mighty uh, shall uh, the, the strong among the mighty shall speak uh, to him out of the midst uh, of hell with those who help him. They have gone down. They lie with the uncircumcised, slain of the sword. And now these individual nations now. Uh, peoples of these individual nations rise up and greet Pharaoh as he enters into hell along with all of his, uh, his uh, uh, cohorts. Assyria is there, has preceded her. And all of her company of, of uh, pride and wickedness and rebellion against God, with all their graves all around her, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, her graves are set in the recesses of uh, the pit, and her company is all around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword. Uh, and then here is the description of Assyria, and he's going to describe each of these peoples in this way, who cause terror in the land of the living. And, that's, uh, and, and here is the portion that they deserve in terms of hell. Certainly, we know that hell is, people end up in hell ultimately and solely, supremely upon, based upon the decision of what we as individuals do with Jesus Christ in terms of faith and looking in faith to His coming, His first coming, or looking back in faith upon His, His first coming. But here's how uh, their, their lives were characterized. Because of their ungodliness, they caused terror in the land of the living. Uh, any nation in the world, uh, any individual in the world that causes terror in the land of the living, if they are a pharaoh, if they are a, a dictator and a uh, 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 an abuser of people within their own family or within their own household. Uh, there is this kind of judgment that awaits apart from repentance and, and turning uh, to God. God notices this. They cause terror in the land of the living. Again, we've talked about it before, but uh, this world is not ours. It was given to us as a stewardship by God in Genesis. We are not free to live how we want to live. We are not free to do to this world or other people in this world what we, we want to do. And God will hold uh, nations and individuals uh, as He does Pharaoh and, and His nation uh, responsible for it. 
there is Elam, and all of her multitude rises up to greet the arrival of Pharaoh and his multitude. And they're all around her grave, and all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who have gone down uncircumcised to the lower parts of the earth. And the idea of uncircumcised is that without a covenant, without a relationship with God. And that's, again, that's the core, uh, core issue. The, the, the horror of the life that they lived, uh, the wickedness, all the everything that, that occurred, that they did, was, was a byproduct of of being uh, the uncircumcised, so to speak, without a covenant, without a relationship uh, with, with God. And so they've gone into the lower parts of the earth. Again, the latter part of verse 24, it's significant, who caused their terror in the land of the living. And now they uh, bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. Uh, they have set her bed in the midst of the slain with all her multitude, with her graves all around, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword, uh, through their terror uh, was caused, though their terror was caused in the land of the living, yet uh, they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. It was, uh, put, uh, it was put in the midst of the slain. Uh, imagine, I mean, imagine today in, in this side of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in human history, when a person dies without Christ, they, they don't go into Gehenna or the eternal lake of fire. Uh, that is a judgment that people are cast into uh, following the white throne judgment based upon what we have done with God's Son and His Savior and either making Him our Savior or not. But currently, Hades, which is described in the center of the earth somehow, Hades or Sheol, uh, this is where everyone is going and waiting for. The wicked are at the time of death and uh, in anticipation of the white throne judgment. And the Bible says that Hades enlarges itself uh, continually to accommodate the sheer number of people that pour into it on a daily basis. But imagine dying and... Uh, uh, and heading there and, uh, and seeing Hitler there, uh, seeing Stalin there, seeing Mao there, uh, seeing the greatest monsters in human history uh, populating the place and now greeting you to now come in and be a part of, of their portion. It's just a single sin separates us from uh, from a relationship with God. And, and only Christ can provide us with a righteousness that makes us acceptable for entering into heaven. But imagine just the sheer density of darkness and wickedness and evil and oppression that is in hell, even before Satan gets cast ultimately into the eternal lake of fire. What an awful, awful, the only thing that could be worse would be to end up in Hades or to end up in Sheol and, and to have end up there having been raised in a Christian heritage, to have been raised in the things of the Lord, 
to have known the Bible uh, well enough, more than well enough, uh, to be saved, to know more than most people in the world uh, know it all about Christ and about uh, salvation, and to end up in that place in a, in a wickedness and in, in an atmosphere that you could cut with a knife and to realize I am now here and numbered among this group for eternity on the basis of the decisions that I, uh, decision I have made concerning uh, Christ, going into eternity uncircumcised or without a covenant, an agreement, a relationship with God. And that's why Jesus spoke about the, this is a new covenant in my blood. That's the relationship that we have that frees us from this darkness one, one day. What a horror it will be. I mentioned a little bit second service this morning, you know, as you watch, I, I like uh, sports and other things on TV, and, I, and, and I, I remember in particular, you could talk about lots of things, but I, um, it, you know, it, they were showing commercials on this one channel for, uh, the, the show is called American Horror, or something like that. And I'm watching this, like it's this girl in a nightgown and blood all over, you know, and, and then this thing and that and the whole, and, and it's just like, you know, wow, how, you know, how dark is, is this, uh, this stuff? And, and uh, so much evil around us, such an exploration of evil that is, is going all on all around us as a culture, as if it's a game as if it doesn't have a basis in reality, and as if it's something we can play with in control. And this as if one day there is not a greater horror to be experienced for eternity than anything that we can conjure up uh, for a movie uh, to frighten people. Now this is, uh, this is dangerous stuff. And uh, come into the light and walk in, in the light and come to know the Lord. Verse 26, there was uh, Meshach and Tubal and all of their multitudes with all of their graves around it and all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. And here it is again, though they caused their terror in the land of the living. And they do not lie with the mighty who uh, are fallen of the uncircumcised, uh, who have gone down to hell with their weapons of war. They have laid their swords under their heads, but their iniquities will be on their bones because of the terror of the mighty in the land of the living. Yes, you shall be broken in the midst of the uncircumcised, that is the ungodly, and lie with those who are slain by the sword. He moves on then to Edom, uh, and her uh, multitudes rise up and princes to, to greet the arrival of, of Egypt and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, Pharaoh. There is Edom, her kings and her princes, who, despise, who despite their might are laid beside those slain by the sword. And they shall lie with the uncircumcised and with those who go down to the pit. Uh, there are the princes of the north, all of them and all the Sidonians who have gone down with the slain. And here it is again in shame of the terror which they caused uh, by their might. The life that they lived uh, separate from a covenant relationship with God. They lie uncircumcised with those slain by the sword and bear their shame with those who will go down uh, to the pit. 
And then God says, returning to Pharaoh, Pharaoh will see them. And everybody sees them. Who dies independent of having trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. It's not, life is not a game. It is not a game. It is not whoever gets the most toys wins or whoever eats the most pasta wins. Whoever lives the most self-willed life wins or whoever engages the most sin wins. Life is a preparation for eternity. And the single most important preparation for eternity is to trust in Christ for our salvation, to make sure that when eternity comes our way, and it will come for all of us, is that we'll be on the right side of it and our confidence will be concerning heaven. And Pharaoh will see them and be comforted over all uh, his multitude. Pharaoh and all of his army slain by the sword, says the Lord God. So misery loves company. There will be a semblance of comfort in that look how many people are around. But there will be no bear bashes down there. Uh, that stupid joke, I don't know if it's still going around, but it was when I was a younger person. I want to go to hell. That's where all my friends are going to go. And we're going to, you know, have these parties and drink beer and all. I didn't notice any beer in this picture. And I didn't notice anybody having any kind of fun. And it'll be pure misery, wailing, gnashing of teeth, fire that does not go out. And, for, and God adds His stamp. Uh, they have uh, continually caused their terror in the land of the living. And God says, for I have caused my terror, a terror greater than any terror that any human being or any nation can produce within human history. And that is the terror that God has prepared for those who head into eternity, having rejected His Son. For I have caused my terror in the land of the living, and He shall be placed in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword, Pharaoh and his multitude, says the Lord God. So we'll stop there, obviously, tonight. And having finished up that section of uh, the book of Ezekiel. So serious business, and uh, I, think, I think chapters like this are important. I don't know how excited uh, they make you, but the, um, the absence of the fear of God in the world in which we live, the absence of a sobriety, even sometimes among us as Christians, about the seriousness of living obediently, the life that God has called us to in Scripture, how high the stakes are, how important all of this is. This is all, all this is, is a preparation for eternity. That's what life is a preparation for. And, uh, and, and that this life one day gives way to uh, eternity. And, and so I think it's good to have these kind of things that who in the world talks about this stuff anymore? I mean, how many places do you know? If we weren't going straight through the Scriptures or whatever, how many people do you think would come out to a Bible study and the average place that says, hey, we're going to study, you know, chapters 30 through 32 of the book of Ezekiel on the judgment of Egypt? I would, you'd, you'd have to give people cars or something to get them to come out. And yet, 
this passage of Scripture does something important and needed in our hearts in a world that has lost its fear of God and, it, it, and is, it knows no bounds now in terms of its arrogance towards God and its practice of wickedness without any fear of God and without any uh, realization that He exists. And this kind of thing keeps us safe and sober in the middle of the insane asylum that we find ourselves in the midst of in life on planet Earth in 2019. Let's stand together and we'll ask the worship team to come forward and close us up in a worship song this evening.